like. Sometimes we watch the funniest home videos, and it's, it's fun to even laugh at the ones that are so nervous that they faint and fall down, but they're exemplifying this. That's what they're doing here, seeing their bride. And I think this word picture that, that Jesus calls the church's bride, I'm going to be honest, uh, for a long time, I don't think it really had much meaning to me at all. You may be in that camp today where it's just another word picture, it's just another metaphor in the Bible. But uh, that is it really until my wedding day. And I can't remember all the emotions or, or thoughts that I had as Sheree walked down the aisle uh, there that, that day and as I kind of watched her all the way down. can't remember every thought and emotion. But years later, thinking about that, replaying that in my mind, I'm sure what we were really getting is we're getting a glimpse, just a, a, a snippet of what it is like the love Christ has for his church, for us, for all of us, for his followers. I would have described that day, and I think Christ describes his church, that pure anticipation, the, the, the pure love, the eternal hope. And this is the word picture that he uses. And so for me, being a pastor now, it becomes a whole new meaning to this word picture. It becomes more alive than it has before. Get this, that Jesus calls you and I, his followers, he calls us his bride. That's how he looks at us. So ultimately, here's the point of this series. The point of this series is to really talk about the relationship between each of us and the local church, what God is doing here. We're, we're going to dive into that, and you may wonder, if we're talking about the local church, where's all this gushy love stuff coming from today? But uh, stick with me, and I'll, I'll show you. Um, every single one of you has been significantly involved in some church somewhere, whether this is the first one or there was others that came before Windover Hills. And some of you, that you even like to tell the stories, and you're kind of in a rush to talk about your experiences at that church, like wonderful, you know, maybe less than wonderful, maybe downright awful, uh, whatever that may be, you, you share those experiences that way, right? Here's what I want to challenge you in your thinking today, though. I want to challenge you that when you look at the church, all that you've experienced at any one of the church locations that you've been at, maybe been a member at, I want you to look at that and call that church with a little C, okay? Little C right down here. That's your church experience. It's what you've encountered. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get rid of those today. Like, send them on a vacation. You know, send them with a, a list of errands to go run and just, just send them off. That's not our focus this morning, the little C. Now, don't abandon them all together, but for this morning, just send them packing for a little while. We'll come back to that in this series. This week, I want you to think about Big C Church. Large C church. And I'll tell you what we're talking about here. This church is not a building. It's not any one denomination or congregation. It's nothing like that. In fact, it's the larger family of God. It's the family of God that's made up by anyone who has received the gift of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That is the big C church. Anyone you've come in contact with that has a testimony or a story to share about the time they surrendered their life to Jesus Christ that is the Big C Church. That's what we're going to focus on this week. And I want, to add, I want you to consider one thing this morning, and uh, it's a point to take away, but I want to put it in the form of a question, and here's what it is. What does this one word, bride, tell us about Jesus' love for the greater church? What does it tell us about his love for his followers, those who have said yes to him, his church? In Ephesians 5, uh, 25 through 32, Paul, he instructs husbands to love their wife, right? And love your wife just the way, how? Christ loved 
the church is what he said. Now, you've probably heard this passage said in many weddings that you've been to. Uh, and uh, when it's shared, it's often applied to kind of the obligations of the man and the husband to love his wife and how he should love his wife. Now, this is a good application. It's the right application if you've heard it used this morning. But these reverse, the verses, they also reveal something different. They reveal a lot about what Jesus thinks about his church and how he chooses to love us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read this very familiar passage, but as we're reading it, I don't want you to think about what, what it says for husbands to do here. So wives, this is not the time to kind of nudge your husband and say, yeah, you know, this, that's not our focus this morning. We're going to reread this passage, but from a new perspective. Instead of focusing on what the husband should do, we're going to look at what each verse tells us about what Jesus has done for us and what he will do for those who say yes and follow and join him by faith. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, if you have it. If not, follow along on the screen. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, when we speak about this passage, it's not talking, uh, it's talking about much more than just one congregation. Remember, it's talking about the big C church, this church universal, those who have said yes. It's this living, breathing, spiritual family that it's talking about here. And we all join that. The moment that we are saved and that we are baptized, we are part of that family, that church as a whole. Now, how much does Christ love the church? Well, what does the passage say? According to the passage, he loved the church so much that he was willing to give himself up for the church, for us, for his followers. I mean, think about the last time that you gave something up for somebody else. As parents, maybe you do that often. You have to give up your schedule because of your kid's schedule. But maybe you even put that in obligation category. Think about the last time where you have just totally on your own given up for somebody else entirely. That's, that's a big deal. This is what Jesus did. He gave up himself, his life, for us. That's how much he loves the church. And now he is continually at work right now in our world with you. He's continually at work to cleanse us and to prepare us for eternity, for heaven. But not only that, but also for his work here on this earth. That's our purpose. And so he's passionate about those things. We find that in this passage that Christ's love for the church, it's not flighty. Have you ever described somebody's love as kind of flighty? It's here and it's gone. He's very patient with his love. It's not fickle. It's not like rides the wave of emotion here. And he is committed. In fact, the Bible tells us that he intercedes on our, ha our behalf constantly in front of the Father, almost like a, a lawyer arguing on our behalf in front of God constantly. 
telling that judge, telling a father in heaven, these guys are great. I love these guys. They're perfect. They are right on. That's what he's arguing constantly before the father. So he cherishes us. He sustains us. He protects us. That's what he does for his church. Now, get this. Christ's love for us, he's, it's so deep, it's so real how much he loves us that he actually views us in this passage as his own body. His own body. I mean, have you ever set your kids down and you've talked to them about why they should do something or not do something and they say, hey, you know, for us, you're a raven. You know, you're a reflection of this family. When you go out and you do that, I mean, you are going out and doing that or not doing that in the name of raven. And we have, a, you know, we have a desire for our name to be something. That, that Jesus, he identifies with us so much, with you so much, that he's willing to call us his body. His body. That's a, that's a really strong metaphor that we often maybe sneak over. Joshua Harris says it this way, in our union with him, his life is extended. That's pretty good. That means that when we're rejected, he's rejected. When we're persecuted, he's persecuted. When we rejoice, he rejoices as well. Now get this. The Ephesians passage that we just read, it it ends with this reference to Genesis chapter 2. It says that in a marriage, a man and wife become one. They are a oneness, a union that really can't be separated and divided. And then Paul tells us this this, Genesis passage, it actually refers to what? the Christ and his church. That's the connection he's drawing here. So what's he saying? Is it possible that that God didn't get his inspiration for loving the church from marriage, but he actually got it the other way around? But the, the one reason God created marriage was to illustrate his love for us, that we would understand the union that he wants to have with us, because on earth, we can have another form of this union in our earthly marriages, husband and wife. That's how much he loves this church and wants to show us this love. In fact, Paul goes to the point, he calls this a great mystery in verse 22, that God would have this type of love for his church. Here's what the psychologist Henry Cloud, this is what he says about this very subject. God invented romance and pursuit and the promise of undying love between a man and a woman so that throughout our lives we could catch a faint glimmer of the intense love Christ has for those he died to save. The passion and the draw to having a spouse, a partner, somebody you love like that, what Henry Cloud is saying, that That is just so we can catch a glimmer and a glimpse of the passion and love God has for us, his followers. And he calls us his church. Are you catching the passion that he has for his church as described in his word? So even if you've never studied the Bible before in your life, you've caught a glimpse of this. You've heard the echoes of this amazing love. Every true love story really has hinted of this. And every groom that's kind of weakened at the sight of his bride, like I described, has described this. And every faithful, committed, and loving marriage articulates this type of love as well. Each, it's like this glimpse of, like, the love song that's being sung from heaven, from God to his creation. That's what's going on here. And he calls this his church. That's who we are. 
Now, a couple more things. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, it's, really, it's not like any other family, right? But there's a couple word pictures as well that he uses. I described one just a second ago. He calls us his body. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So God, Christ is the head, and we are the body. So the, Christ, the church is so close to the heart of God that he's willing to identify the church as his physical body. He's willing to basically say, the church is the manifestation of who I am. My presence is known through the church. Meaning that if we are ones that have faith in Jesus Christ, that we are actually displaying the presence of God by who we are and how we live through Christ. That's, I mean, that's pretty cool that we are more than just saying yes to Jesus and we get into church and we attend and we have some cool music and every once in a while we even like what the preacher has to say. We're more than that. I mean, that we are designed with a purpose, a significance that starts with the love that he has for us. And he calls it, you are my body. It's a pretty powerful metaphor. So, ready for another word picture? Uh, Heaven actually sees the church as an incredible temple, is what we learn. Through the church, God is creating something really like nothing ever that we've faced in history. And it's not, of course, made of bricks or stones and that type of thing. It's not really, uh, it's really greater than any cathedral that has been built. And some of you I know uh, like to to travel and see those type of cathedrals and stuff. It's greater than that. First Peter describes it this way. This building is composed of, get this, living stones. Living stones. You know who that is? That's you. That's me. We are the living stones. So when he talks about this metaphor of building up the church, he is building it up with you and with I. That's who he's talking about. Now, we're in the middle of talking about a building project. We're looking at a piece of land, Someday, we, if we move forward with all that, we'd put a building on that land, or we'd buy a building somewhere else, and we'd fix up that building. We're talking about wood and bricks and things like that. That's not what he's describing here. Those are great to house what we're doing here, but what he is saying is you are the living stone. I am the living stone for the church. The church is only built off the testimony of those who have said yes to Jesus Christ. It's you and it's I. Here's what uh, Ephesians 2, 21 through 22 says this. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his, this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The, the passage is telling us, I mean, that we have this connection. We're joined together with this, I'll call it a spiritual structure. And it's the same as the apostles in the Bible, when you read about the, uh, the Bible, you read the book of Acts and read about the apostles, it's the same type of building. We're the same living stones. All the saints that you've ever learned about, if you remember in school or you like to read about them in your own, all those up to them, we're part of that. We're an additional living stone being part of the same structure that they've been. All the saints that will come after us one day. They're living stones just the same way. You see how he views us and how he looks at us, and he calls us, this is my temple. This is my temple. 
In the Old Testament, there was the temple in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, excuse me, there was the tabernacle. In the New Testament, we find the temple. But those man-made structures aren't needed anymore. They're not necessary because we display God's presence. We are his temple now in what we do and how we do it through our faith in Jesus Christ. Eric Lane, he, he wrote this book called I Want to Be a Church Member, and it's a little bit of a satire, the, art, the title of the book, because church membership has been in such steep decline. But he writes this book, and it, it's, it's pretty neat, this quote that comes out. Here's what he says. To be a member of a family is to belong to a community bound by a common fatherhood. To be a stone in his temple means to belong to a worshiping community. To be a part of a body means to belong to a living, living, functioning, serving, witnessing community. He continues, he says this, put together, this is what he says, you have the main functions of an individual Christian. Evidently, we're meant to fulfill these not on our own, but together as the church. So what he's saying, we, we are the temple. God has designed us that way, and we're called to be drawn together for his purposes, to come together. We just happen to come together at this address, this group of people that have come together. But notice that in here, he doesn't say, we have come together for the purpose of enjoying one another, though we do that. We do that every single week. We're drawn together to be a a living, a functioning, a serving, and a witnessing community is what Eric Lane says. So we can't live really this Christian life on our own. We're drawn together, all of us, together our body. It doesn't say we are many, many bodies of Christ. Together we're his body. Now, um, how many of you, though, if you've listened to this, you might say, well, that's this all sounds pretty good, Tom. This sounds pretty good, what the Bible says about the church and the, the big C church this morning. But obviously, it's failed, right? I mean, obviously, it's fallen apart. This is not the way it seems to function in our church world. Maybe not here in the U.S., at least, in the church world. I mean, what about all these denominations that are out there and, and these type of things? And it just... It just doesn't seem like God has accomplished what he says here. In fact, there's a passage in John chapter 17 where Jesus is actually praying, and as he's praying, he's talking to God, and he says, and I pray that they would become one like you and I are one. And Jesus is saying, look, the God in heaven, his Father, and him are one. Now, we know, if you know Trinity theology, that that oneness is, is, is pretty deep that connection and that one, right? It's not just like, you know, buddy-buddy relationship. I mean, they, they are one in the sense that they are one. They, it can't be separated and divided. And he's saying, I want them to become one the same way you and I are one. This unity that he's talking about for his followers and for his believers. And often we'd say, well, it seems like the church is just a failed experiment that God had. But I want you to think about true unity differently, to rethink it. True unity is really, it's given by God through faith in the gospel. The main thing that draws us and connects us in unity is the truth of the gospel. It's the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It's his resurrection. It's his justification by, by grace. That is the things that are the core of what the church is to be about, and they unify us together. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that these things he calls first importance. These are the most important thing. And that these things are are to rise above all. 
in the way we connect to each other, and even more so in the way we go out and do the work of God on this earth. And so we draw together. So don't think about denominational differences or style differences if you've been in a church that worships different than this. Don't think of them as the, the enemy of unity, but really it can be something the exact opposite. That It can be something that actually makes true unity possible because there are lesser things of significance sometimes that we don't always match up in. But as long as we match up in the things of absolute significance, we can worship different. We can dress different for churches. Our traditions can be different in how we do it, but we are bonded by the central things. And when God looks down on those, he calls that Big C Church. And he loves, he loves Big C Church, and he wants us to be a part of it. And so in really the most important way, Jesus' prayer there, it's being answered in this. It's being answered that we are one as he and the Father are one if we stay one on the central things. Now, as we close up here, I want to share just a little bit more as we've seen. When, when we see the church as God sees it, I, I think two lessons is what we've learned. We've already really talked about them this morning. The first one is that the church matters to God more than we realize. God is not done with the church by any stretch. He loves the church. He can't be done with the church because that would mean he's done with us. You and I, his followers, are the church. And he calls us, lesson two, he calls and expects us to be a part of it, a part of the church, because we are a part of the church if we're believers and we have faith in Jesus Christ. The bottom line says, if Jesus loves the church, then you and I should love the church as well and be a part of his mission on this earth through his followers and through the church. So we can't really just use the excuse that the church has blown it or failed or messed up, because I would guess in most relationships you have, and I would guess even you have blown it and messed up as well, and God has never given up on you. In fact, we find in God's word that there's really, Jesus is the only one who has the right to disown and give up the church, and he never has, and he never will. That's his focus. I'll tell you this story. There's a man who had been married for uh, 25 years. That's pretty, pretty lengthy uh, time to be married. Shree and I, 20 years next year. So as he spoke about himself and his family, he reached into his wallet, and he said, let me show you a picture of my bride. He said excitedly. He said, now, you and I, if he pulled out a picture, you and I, 25 years, would be kind of expecting him to pull out a worn, tattered picture that he'd been carrying around in his wallet for a long, long time, right? Maybe wedding day, that kind of picture. But instead, he pulled out a recent picture of his wife, now in her late 50s, right? And uh, you can see some of you are smiling already that have been married a long time. Maybe you have pictures like this. But this man's love for his wife, I mean, it was clear. In fact, it's pretty inspiring and what he was saying is, this isn't my old lady at home. Not that late 50s is old, okay? Calm down. So that's not how he viewed her at all. He pulled out this picture, and he said, this, this is who my heart is. This is where my heart is. In fact, so much so that he didn't have an old picture, he had a new picture, and so much so that he still didn't call him, her his wife. He said, this is my bride, and I don't know about you, when I say the word bride, I'm already taken back to that moment of the commitment and standing and seeing Sheree as I shared with you at the beginning. After a quarter of a century together, she was still bride. 
she still had his heart and his passion and his affection. That's the word picture. That's what God is describing about his church. He's describing about you. And he didn't save you just so you could go on and live with the day of saying, yeah, I had this great testimony one time. But he saved you to build his love into you so that you would know him deeper and that you would go out and you would do and be about what he is about. And you would carry his same love onto other people that don't feel that love. That's the word picture that he tells us. I want to draw us to a close with this quote from John Stott. If you're not familiar with him, a pastor, a theologian, he says this about the church. On earth, she's often in rags and tattered, stained and, and ugly, despised and persecuted, but one day she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spots, wrinkles, and any other disfigurement, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work. The bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. This is the work of Jesus every day. He's the work of Jesus in your life every day, making us, making you beautiful. He chose us from the foundation of the world. That's biblical, by the way. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us about it. And he had this in mind, us, when he died on the cross for the church to come together. Now, many days have passed, 2,000 plus years uh, for us, but it's the same as the man who pulled the picture out of his wallet. Jesus still calls today the church his bride. That's what we are. I want to pray for you on this, and, and I want to give you a moment to, to reflect during that. So would you bow with me? Father, I know that uh, in our day and age, the, the church often has gotten such a, a bum rap. And Lord, there's times when I look and I go, wow, we've, we deserve it. We've put it on ourselves in so many ways. But Lord, I wonder at a core if it's just we're not looking at the church like you looked at, like we talked about today, this big C church where you have said, I love, I love, I love my church. I love my, my creation that has decided to say yes to me and follow me and to, to be one with me. And that's who I look at and say, this is my church. And I would love to use them. You know, gifted or ungifted, I will use every single one of them for my end, for my purpose on this earth. And that is your church. And so, Lord, this morning, it may very well be that there's some in here that uh, fall into different categories. There might be somebody in here who had just not seen the value in their own life. That they just don't think they're worthy or, or worth much. Or, or they're not valuable to anybody or to anything. And this morning, the message of your church, Lord, is exact opposite. Your message is saying we are of tremendous value and that you love us dearly and passionately, even to the point that if we've blown it or messed up, that you're like, that can't shake my love. And you this morning, I don't know, that might be your situation, it might be your case. You may have never said yes to Jesus Christ, never joined this big C church. And it might even been because a little C church hurt you. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you. He is saying, come, join my church. Say yes to me. I forgive you of your sins. I forgive you of your past. 
and I'll come into your life. I'll be the Lord of your life. And then there, I expect there's another group this morning, and I would suspect that group has just gotten disillusioned with the church altogether. And it could be because Little C Church has had a rough time in their past. It could be, Lord, because they just have had, what we call it, their own selfishness to say, I just, I just look at what I like and not really about what God has called me to be. I haven't even thought about Big C Church. If that's you this morning and God just wants to say, hey, just recommit to my focus and my purpose here, that there's a greater purpose, bigger than you, bigger than what you like or don't like, and your fulfillment in this life will only be realized through that. In the same way, God is saying, look, I will still use you. I'll use you in a mighty way if you're ready to be used in my church. So I want to give you just a moment, if either one of those, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, come into my life, be the Lord of my life, then do that in this quiet time. If you're ready to say, uh, Lord, I've, I've kind of played with Little C Church and that's where I've, I've sat and I need to be a part of the bigger mission, being loved by you and then doing your work in this world, speak to him about it this time. I want to give you a couple minutes. for any commitment that was made pray you would bless it and just make yourself known within it we'll pray in your son's name amen if this morning you said yes to jesus for the first time um, we would love to connect with you about it right on the back of your card this morning there's a little box that says becoming a follower of jesus christ if you want to know more about that or, or if this morning you've said yes to Jesus, will you just let us know and we'll connect with you and